everybody. Welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. I guess it's been a while since I said, please support the podcast on Patreon, so consider doing that. I write thoughts about every episode just for patrons, and patrons also get early access to every episode. And that's just $1. $5 patrons get a special bonus episode every month. Last month, my spouse and I interviewed our kids about their reactions to the Jesus story, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I sound my throat is a little hoarse today. And that is because I'm allergic to dust and should probably wear a mask when I clean behind the couch. But instead, I wore no mask and sang songs from Strong Bad the whole time I was cleaning. So maybe not the smartest. I haven't got my voice back quite from that yet. But um, I got to get the episode done. Uh, So anyways, now on to what you are here for. The Bible story for the heathen kids. So by popular demand, I am doing a sequel to The Passion Story. When I say popular demand, I mean Aiden, my son, wanted more of the story and the characters, and he's very popular with me. This story is going to have the last teensy bits of the Jesus story I didn't include in the end, although of course there's still stuff from earlier in the Jesus story. There's like lots of miracles and parables and stories I haven't got to. But anyway, it's going to have the last little bit um, from the end of the Jesus story that I didn't include, the, the denouement, if you want to get fancy. Um, of the Easter story. There was actually a bit of resolution there at the end that happened after the resurrection I didn't include, so I figured I could get to it eventually, and this is eventually. So uh, that's what we've got today, the tail end of the Gospels and the beginning of what is called the Book of Acts. It's Acts. A-C-T-S. I feel like I can't say that right. It sounds like I'm talking about axes, like you chop trees with. Anyway, the Book of Acts. I will begin with a lightning round version of the Easter story. Jesus made people angry with his preaching, and then they arrested him, and then they killed him, and then he wasn't dead, and then everyone was happy at the end. <laughs> Too fast? Okay, I'll do it for real this time. A real, actual recap. Jesus was a prophet and a miracle worker who claimed to be God's son, and his preachings made him a threat to the religious establishment and the state, and they arrested him. After that, his best friend Peter was afraid he'd also be arrested, so he told people he didn't even know Jesus, and then the leaders had Jesus killed by crucifixion, and then the religious leaders put a stone and a guard in front of the tomb where Jesus' body was buried because he had said he would come back to life if they killed him, and they didn't want anyone stealing the body and claiming that he had come back to life. Well, Jesus did come back to life, and angels rolled the stone away and knocked the guards out cold. Um, And then after that, Jesus visited some of his friends, and he only appeared to people who had followed him back when he was alive the first time. He appeared to Peter a few times, and they were cool again, and he left Peter in charge of basically all his followers. And here's the bits we left out. After Jesus came back to life, there was an empty tomb and a missing body that needed explaining if you wanted to be sure no one believed that Jesus had come back to life. So the religious leaders bribed the guards who had been watching Jesus' tomb. They paid them a lot of money to say that the disciples came and stole the body in the middle of the night. At least that's the story the Gospels tell us. And with Jesus not appearing en masse to set the record straight, a lot of people believed that story. Other people didn't know what to think. Meanwhile, some of Jesus' closest friends had seen Jesus alive, and they'd go tell the other friends, but those friends wouldn't believe, and then Jesus would visit those people, and they'd believe, but then there were still others that hadn't seen, and they didn't believe, so it kind of went on and on. One such pair who hadn't seen Jesus yet was walking on the road from Jerusalem, having a debate about all the things they'd been hearing since Jesus had died. Because the timeline is different in every gospel, in the version this was from, uh, this happened the same day Jesus had allegedly risen from the dead. 
they had followed him. They'd heard many rumors. They weren't two of the 12 disciples, the very closest followers, but they also were called disciples. And the, these two disciples debated, bringing up different things they'd heard or remembered, wondering if Jesus could be, really be alive, wondering what it meant that their rabbi who had done miracles let himself be arrested and killed. As they talked, a man began to walk alongside them. They didn't know him. He asked them, what is this dispute you are having? And they stopped talking and looked discouraged. One of them said, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that have been happening? What things? The man asked him them. The things about Jesus of Nazareth, they said. He was a powerful prophet and the priests handed him over to be killed, but we were hoping he would be the one who would save Israel. It's the third day since that happened and some women from our group shocked us. They went to his tomb early today and didn't find his body. They said an angel told them he was alive. Then some others in our group went to the tomb and saw that the body was gone, but we didn't see Jesus or the angel. The man told them, you're unwise and slow to believe in your hearts. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things? Then they all started walking again, and the man told them many things from scriptures about the Messiah. When the disciples came to their destination, the man acted like he was going further, but they said, please stay with, with us for tonight. It's getting late. So he came in to have dinner with them. And when the bread was served to begin the meal, the man took it and blessed it and tore the bread and gave it to them. And suddenly they were like, wow, this is Jesus all this time. We've been talking to him right here is Jesus, and we didn't even know him. But as soon as they recognized that the mysterious stranger was actually Jesus, he vanished. Poof, gone. Then they immediately ran back to Jerusalem to find the 11 disciples. It, it used to be 12, but Judas hadn't been seen since he helped the religious leaders arrest Jesus. And they told the disciples they'd seen Jesus. And then suddenly, poof, Jesus appeared and told them to stay in the city until they had gotten a new power from heaven. Then in this version, this was all still the very day he'd come back to life, and this was the first time he'd appeared to the Twelve. After he talked to them and told them to stay in the city until the power from heaven came, he led them a little ways out of the city and blessed them and told them to spread the story about him and the wisdom he had tried to teach the people, which is now called the gospel. And he rose into heaven and the disciples saw him rise up to heaven. And then he was gone, and they went back into Jerusalem and went into the into the temple complex and stayed there praying to God because they were so amazed. And then uh, the story picks up in Acts, which is sort of like a sequel, also written by Luke, which is the gospel I was just taking most of that story from. Um, well, also said to be written by Luke. The disciples stayed in Jerusalem, like Jesus had told them. They stayed in that same room they'd been in before, you know, during the Last Supper, and with the women, including probably Mary Magdalene, and also Mary, Jesus' mother. And they were all waiting for some power from heaven. They didn't know what it was, but they figured they'd recognize it when it happened. They tended to spend some time staring up at the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back down. But two angels appeared and assured them that Jesus would come back, but they didn't need to stare at the sky waiting for it. Meanwhile, Peter, now the leader of the disciples, decided 11 wasn't a good number. They used to be 12, but Judas is gone and they're just the 11. They couldn't be the 11. 12 was the godly number. There were 12 tribes of Israel. There's 12 donuts in a dozen. It's got to be 12. So they'd have to pick a new 12th member. That's, that's an anachronism. They didn't have donuts, but they might have had dozens. Anyway, but they'd have to pick a new 12th member. They had a lot of disciples who weren't one of the 11 disciples that they could pick from. Personally, I think Mary Magdalene was right there. 
but apparently it had to be a man, so they just cast lots, kind of like a lottery or rolling a dice or something, to pick a disciple from the men they considered options. Randomizing it was their way of letting God have a say because God could control the seemingly random outcome. And the lots picked a man called Matthias, and then there were 12 disciples again, except that the man they were the disciples of or the followers of was was gone up to heaven now. So at some point they started being called the 12 apostles instead, which meant that they were now teachers, not followers. But still they weren't really like Jesus. Jesus was the son of God. He was so much like God. He could do miracles. He could alter reality. He could even alter minds and make people understand new things or not understand things. He could even make people not recognize him. And, and uh, Peter and John and the rest were still pretty normal dudes waiting around in Jerusalem for they didn't know what. Remember, Jesus had been arrested on the Jewish holiday of Passover. Well, on the second day of Passover, the Jewish people count the days until Shavuot, which is also called the Feast of Weeks, which is the Greek name. I mean, um, the Greek name for that is Pentecost. They'd count for seven weeks from the second day of Passover. Seven times seven is 49. And then when you count the day you know, that it starts counting after Passover, that makes 50. And Pentecost, the Greek word, means 50th. So on the last day of counting, as the people have been doing since ancient times, they would have a big feast to celebrate the harvests, although later people also used the day to celebrate when God gave them the Torah, the Jewish books of the law, including Genesis, which y'all are probably a little familiar with now. So it had been seven weeks since Jesus had died on the second day of Passover week, and everyone who could make it was in Jerusalem for the celebrations. There would be feasts and special events at the temple. Of course, our dudes had been in Jerusalem this entire time, and on this day, they were all together in one house at the same time to celebrate. Suddenly, they heard the sound like a really loud wind inside the house, and little flames, little fires showed up and rested on each person there, and they were filled with with what is called the Holy Spirit, that is to say, the Spirit of God. And then they all began to speak different languages because the Spirit of God gave them the ability. They knew that must be the power from heaven they'd been waiting for. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. It's not new in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, people were often said to have the Spirit of God on or in or with them, like when David killed Goliath or Elijah called down fire from heaven, although Holy Spirit isn't the word used um, in the Old Testament generally. And of course, uh, it wasn't every day that a whole huge group of people got it all at once and it was supposed to have lasted like the rest of their lives, I think. Um, and so suddenly a bunch of people just boom, Holy Spirit. Well, in Jerusalem, because of the festival, there were Jews from all over the world speaking different languages of the places they'd come from. And the people who'd been in the inner room, um, who'd got the Holy Spirit, came out and started to speaking to all these other Jewish people in the languages of their homelands. And they were amazed. They're like, um, aren't all of these people from Galilee? But we can understand them in these other languages. There were visitors from Asia and Rome and Crete and Arabia. And all of them understood those people from Galilee in their own language. How could this be, they said. But some other people mocked those people and said they were all just drunk on wine from the feast. And Peter stood up and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, Jewish men and all residents of Jerusalem, let it be known to you all and pay attention to my words. These people are not drunk because it is only nine o'clock in the morning. 
And apparently, this is pretty good evidence that they couldn't be drunk yet because no one challenges it. So anyway, he still has to explain what is going on. So Peter continues in his speech. On the contrary, this is the fulfillment of a prophecy from the book of Joel when God said, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity and your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams and I will display miracles in heaven and on earth. It goes on a bit because it's a bit of poetry from the Old Testament that he's quoting here. And then Peter tells the story about Jesus, that he was killed, that he came back to life. It was like this really rousing speech. He even quoted famous poetry by King David. And then he explained that he, Peter, and the people he was with were filled by the Spirit of God, called the Holy Spirit, because of everything that had happened with Jesus, whose death and resurrection had made it possible for them to get the Spirit, and then finished up by blaming them for crucifying Jesus, saying, let everyone in Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, who you crucified both Lord and Messiah. And then everyone was like, oh no. And they felt like they had been pierced right in the heart, seeing these miraculous things happen still in the name of Jesus. And maybe some of them had even been in the crowd saying, crucify him. And they were really worried. And they're like, what must we do? So Peter told them to repent. That is, to recognize what they'd done that were wrong and not do the wrong things anymore and also get baptized in the name of Jesus, which is a ritual in which they'd go underwater as a symbol of being cleansed and their sins, the things they did wrong against God would be forgiven and then they would also get the Holy Spirit. What with forgiveness and the Spirit of God, it was like a fresh and more powerful start. So 3,000 people decided to join the brand new church right then and they devoted themselves to listening to what the apostles said, to breaking bread and eating meals together and praying together. They did miracles, their group grew and everyone united by their beliefs sold their possessions to help any one of them who needed anything. And they took care of each other, they met together, they ate together, some people even lived together. And the text said that every day people wanted to join their group. Like, honestly, if there really were a group doing miracles and everyone was making sure that everyone else would be taken care of, I might have been interested too. Sounds pretty nice. At least at first, when it was all kind of not beat. It's a really exciting and joyful beginning. Peter gets to give a big speech and all. It's super effective. Everyone who hears it wants to be a better person. Of course, no group grows without some growing pains. And also, there was still the matter of the religious leaders who had hated Jesus and hadn't gone anywhere since then. So there's some rocky times up ahead, even in the idealized mythological version of the origin of Christianity. But uh, sometimes rocky times make for good stories. So come back next time when I'll have more of Peter's adventures. That'll be um, that'll be two weeks. So uh, I won't have one next week. And then I'll be back in two weeks with more of Peter's adventures. Thank you so much for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, star child.